Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Patience Adamo. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision making during a racial revolution, sponsored by Fido Mobile. Stay tuned as we talk Canadian news and Black issues on a regular basis. And if you support our work to keep you informed, please subscribe. On this week's episode, we reflect on the political firestorm that was 2022 and consider what 2023 may have in store. That's right. Both Patience and I will share what we each thought was the biggest political story of the year, our thoughts on the political event that was most beneficial to both Black Canadians and Canadians at large, what we're most concerned about heading into 2023, and plenty more. So let's jump in. Let's do it. Merry Christmas, everyone. And to our U.S. listeners in particular, happy Kwanzaa. Uh, To our Black Jewish listeners, happy Hanukkah, all that good stuff. Patience, I don't know about you, but I had a damn good Christmas, and I'm looking forward to ending 2022 on a good note as well. For one... I was able to take a much needed long overdue trip to Jamaica where I was finally able to introduce Tamika to my Jamaican family that raised me. It was also an honor and a privilege to ask for Tamika's hand in marriage. Yes. And she she agreed. So obviously I'll be walking around with big energy until further notice. Yes, yes, yes. As you should, as you should. (laughs) Not but for real. December was a great month for me. How about for you, Patience? Yeah, December, my December was good. Not as, obviously, not as as, as big energy as yours was. But <laughs> I, I definitely took some much-needed time off to be with my son. And we, like, explored the city from, from the lens of, you know, me being a mother of a toddler and, and doing child-friendly things. And, and mm-hmm. the good news is that the city truly has so, so much to offer to, to kids. So it was, a, it was a really great time. That's great. That's, that's, I mean, just look at us growing and thriving in our own right. Good for us. <laughs> Can't say the same for Tory Lanes. Anyway, I digress. The, the, <laughs> the question is, did and will Canada fear the same as you and I, you know, doing well, thriving, all that good stuff? It's a tough question to answer. Just look at the major events that took place throughout this year. We saw High interest rates and inflation increased prices for every blood clotting. We, we had the racist trucker convoy in February. There was Russia's invasion of Ukraine that may or may not lead to World War III. We saw the fall of Afghanistan, and with it, a lot of Canadian effort flowed down the drain. We, we had the ouster of Aaron O'Toole as conservative leader, which paved the way for angry pee-pee. I mean, pee-pee. Pierre Polyev. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to stop. I probably won't. Then there was the re-election of Ontario Premier Doug Ford. And finally, 
it was Haiti descending further into chaos. And and honestly, patience, that this isn't even it's not exhaustive, is it? No, not even close. And, and yet it's pretty large. Yeah. Thankfully, it wasn't all bad. I mean, 2022 saw the supply and confidence agreement between the minority liberal government and the NDP that led to the biggest expansion of healthcare in 60 years through dental care. We've got our early learning and childcare system, which was finally implemented, cutting fees for childcare in half across the country, thanks to Trudeau and his government. There was Toronto's election, which led to four whole black politicians at City Hall making history, baby. And in terms of good news for the world, there was US President Joe Biden breaking the expected Republican red wave down to a little bit of a trickle. Yeah. All of those issues dominated the headlines at one point or another this year, right, patients? And most of them will continue to affect many Canadians from all walks of life. But there can only be one. In my humble opinion, it all comes down to inflation and how expensive things have been for everyone. Now, patients, you and I have spoken about how bad things are here in the GTA. And having traveled to numerous places this year, I can say that it's a similar picture just about everywhere in the world. Interesting. Yeah, it's grappling governments everywhere. And believe me when I say that governments will rise and fall because of it. To tame inflation and get this beast under control, Canada's central bank increased interest rates seven times from a low of 0.25% to 4.25% this month. Seven times? Seven times, fam. Yo, yeah. I didn't even, I didn't notice. I'm obviously I'm not checking interest rates all the time, but yeah. seven times is, is really puts a lot into perspective. Right. We saw gas prices get as high as two bucks here in Durham before finally dropping to less egregious levels of $1.30. Inflation got as high as 8.1% in the summer. And as, as of uh, December 30th, we're still at 6.8%. And core inflation, which is uh, uh, with food and energy stripped out, that's at 5.4%, way higher. So that's led to a whole lot of imbalances, right? People can't afford groceries. They're behind on bills. In some cases, they're even losing their homes, fam. It hasn't been a fun time for many. Still, economists say that the Bank of Canada is pretty much wrapping up its little period of interest rate hikes, at least most do. Since the ones that have been put in place so far, well, they've begun to do their job. Although we'll have a mild recession through Q2 of 2023 at, you know, 0 to 0.1% negative growth, the economy will begin to bounce back in the second half of 2023. And I'm looking forward to that for sure. And for those who need it, the government will again have the firepower to spend money to help people as it had been doing and kind of has been doing so far. I just hope to God none of y'all feel the looming recession. None of y'all lose your, you know, your homes and you're all good next year. I don't know. What about you, patients? Whether it's on the aforementioned list or not, what do you think was the biggest political story of 2022? Yeah, you know, for me, I, I gotta I gotta still go back to February and talk about the lasting effects of the trucker convoy. Mm-hmm. The trucker convoy brought together so many issues from um, anti-vaccine sentiment to a lot of vitriol against our, our head of government. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also this, this fascist undercurrent that I found most troubling out of all of the, of the issues that 
uh, were raised and sustained uh, through the occupation, essentially the the occupation of, of Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Uh, initially, when you know articles were coming out in February and in March, people were really concerned about the economic impacts, and like although they were limited, th- those were like significant, right? Massive. Lots of um, uh, you know. Uh, uh, automobile assembly plants were were in particularly were in particular um affected by the the closure of roads closure of of kind of border crossings and and that made a really big impact but all things considered the the automobile industry is 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 the biggest kind of stakeholder in terms of impact and 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 they're okay they're (laughs) it's not going to uh change their 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 business or they they, nobody went into bankruptcy from that but i would argue it has done irreversible damage to this myth and this idea that Canada is a safe place for everyone to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, even on the trade front, so I remember doing my normal reading, and one of the things that uh, came out of the blockages that were happening at our borders was the White House in particular, but also various governors, you know, the, the, the U.S. Uh, House of Reps, they were all very concerned and they were, you know, leaning on the Canadian government to get this dealt with uh, and to kind of lean on what you were saying just now about, you know, we are no longer seen as a place for everyone. Yes. Um, that was a point where we were no longer seen as a safe space for capital. Yes. Which is hugely problematic for our long-term economic success. So yeah, yeah big, 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 big deal on both of those fronts. You know, you know, what's interesting for me though, patients. Tell me. I, so, you know, we had the trucker convoy protest. It essentially led to the Astro Aero tool and eventually the election of Pierre Polyevre. Um, scary stuff. S- scary stuff, but there's, there's, there's some positivity. in. Oh, there. tell me about that light at the end of the tunnel. Tell me, I need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing is, PP, he's going to go all in on this trucker stuff and on this fascist stuff, he, unfortunately. And, and the, the clearest signal to that end is the fact that the conservative party i believe it was the party not not his inner circle the party elected a strong trucker convoy supporter as their director of communications so so that that kind of stuff is is maybe going to continue but there's two things there's actually three things to consider i think i'll go backwards here yeah one is that we just had a by-election in mississauga lakeshore and the Liberal Party won. Really? We just had a by-election in Mississauga Lakeshore, and the former finance minister under Kathleen Wynne, Charles Souza, yeah, is now the new MP for Mississauga Lakeshore. He took it handily at fifty-one percent. Okay. Uh, Pierre Polyevra didn't even show up to uh, to, to 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 canvas, uh, mainly because he was afraid that you know if he lost, which he did, he'd have to wear it and it would look bad. So it's interesting that that happened despite all the anger that we're feeling. Right. Canadians are in most cases, or at least in the GTA and, and cities, right, and, and, and urban centers, most of us are still looking for pragmatic, level-headed, intelligent, not pushing people to anger. Right. Just solid leadership, right? Right. That's point number one. Point number two, and this is more aligned with, in fact, what we've been talking about. There's research, very good research from, I believe, September and December, respectively. So September's research, 
um, I believe this one is from Ipsos, pointed out that 70% of Canadians view any politician that has an open support for the trucker protest as negative. Wow. 70%. That was in September. There's also the fact that 66%, and this, this research was from Nano's research, 66% of Canadians favor the Emergencies Act being used. That was from December. So the majority of Canadians, a clear majority of Canadians, are still offside with PP and his hating conservative group. That is, that, that's pretty fast. I really hope that that translates into votes, right? I agree. I agree. I mean, look, if you look at 338 right now, mm-hmm. uh, if, a, if, if an election were held right now, the Liberals would still win, albeit with less seats. Uh, and the, uh, the the Conservative Party is at 34% nationally, while the but Liberal Party is at 32%. Uh, so to be clear, things are very much still competitive. But one of the main reasons why Pierre Polyevro was elected, and he's clearly going to be riding this horse, it's not going to work for him. And by the way, I didn't even point this out. There was research from earlier in 2022. Um, I forget where that one was from. I think it, it doesn't matter. The point is, it was good research as well. And at that point, 54% of Canadians were uh, pretty much against the trucker protest. So that means we jumped from 54 to either a minimum of 66 or right. 70. Right. So things are heading in the right direction, I feel. And that makes me feel good because it, as I reflect on this year, as I reflect on what, what became clear to, to me, it's that the, the, the degree of white privilege... Um, is becoming more obvious Hmm. and not just to black folks, but maybe to everyone just in how that the, the, the trucker convoy and the way that it was managed revealed the degree of white privilege that exists and that, you know, how the law is applied uh, has really, has, has a really significant uh, is really significantly impacted by who is the recipient or who is um, the subject of of that particular piece of legislation. So, I think uh, through all of the other think pieces, you know, even even the the Toronto Sun, the Yellowhead Institute, everyone, I think at least a little bit, what was acknowledging that the way the Freedom Convoy was managed was different than anything we've ever seen, but most notably different than Black Lives Matter and how that protest was was managed. Mm. How how do you think um, the, so there's supposedly going to be a rerun of the protests in February? I believe that. I I believe that they... Well, sorry, I shouldn't say supposedly. There will be. Like the organizers have said so. uh, The, you know, the government and police have said they're ready. So how do you think it's going to go? Unlike January 6th, where people, you know, died and, and... there, there are criminal charges being laid. Mm-hmm. Actually, let, let me not say that because there are people who are being held accountable. Pat right. King is, is the one person that comes to mind for right. the Freedom Convoy. But the the illegal occupation was not handled in the same way as the kind of storming of the Capitol. So we have people who think that this is a joke. Mm. We have people who are using this as an attempt to make Canada great again, you know, essentially. Uh, we we haven't we haven't been clear with the fact that this was a violation of the rights and freedoms of the residents of the city of Ottawa, and that like 
according to some very convincing arguments, this is also a form of domestic terrorism. Mm-hmm. So of course they're gonna, you know, start bragging about how they want to do it again because they think that that they are entitled to. I, I the only thing I would disagree about Tell is me. the fact that we weren't clear, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, but the fact that we weren't clear that this is, you know, you know, more domestic terrorism. Behavior. Exactly. More than horrible behavior. It is literally domestic terrorism. I, I think we were very clear about that within the context that, I mean, I, again, I just pointed out the, the numbers, right? Yes. At the beginning of this, it was still fairly split for Canadians, right? Absolutely. You know, there, were, there were a lot of folks who were saying even, even though I don't agree with them or or what they're doing, I agree with some of their motives. So it wasn't always clear cut as it is today. Yes. And so, you know, I think that the federal government, the NDP that supported them, anyone who had a rational mind um, kind of had to take things slow. Yeah. But as we, and, and, and take things slow within the context of allowing the, the legal process, for example, to unfold and allow these these hearings, for example, which, you know, I'm not sure if you're aware, but like, you know, ministers took part in the hearings. The prime minister himself took part in the hearings. He actually capped it off. Yes, I um, saw I, I saw Trudeau do that. I didn't know that there were other ministers also involved, but that's really good. Yeah, yeah. And this this all sort of contributed to the public's mind changing or improving, I guess you could say. Yes. On this issue, right. Yes. So I, I think that as time goes on and as, you know, more hearings occur, for example, and then we have friends of the drip like Debbie Awusu Ochia, you know, for example, she is one of the um, uh, commissioners on a Ottawa centric panel. It's more of a citizen panel to determine kind of like what you were saying, you know, this was an egregious trampling of the rights of the citizens of Ottawa. Yes. And how do we feel about it? Well, I mean, I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the 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 conclusion to that process is is still outstanding, right? So again, as we have more of these processes unfold, come to an end, I think it's going to be clearer and clearer that yes, in fact, this was domestic terrorism. Yes, in fact, this was not something to be supported, and hopefully, it is not something that's repeated with as much vigor even in the future. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Jumping to the 2022 political event that was most beneficial for Black Canadians and Canadians at large, 
You know, one of the things I love coming on this podcast and doing, and I think you do too, Patience, is sharing good news. And although there was plenty of mayhem this year, like there always is, there was some good news too. Yes. Over the last couple of years since the murder of George Floyd and the Canadian response to anti-Black systemic racism, dollars have been flowing through federal initiatives like the Black Entrepreneurship Program, which is a $265 million government-led fund to fund Black business and organizations. It and other programs like have led to Black organizations and businesses receiving investments unlike we've seen before, although we know there are some hiccups. Then there's the Canada Dental Benefit, a product of the Liberal NDP agreement. It's a temporary dental plan launched earlier this month for families with $90,000 or less in income, providing a $650 check for each child in need to see a dentist. Coverage will expand to adults by 2025 too. So it's something that everyone's going to feel. Yes. And those are the, the two political events from my perspective that I was most happy about for Black Canadians on one hand and all Canadians respectively. I mean, patients just take it in, right? Over the course of this year, money has continued to flow through FedDev Ontario, that's the Federal Economic Development Agency of Southern Ontario, since it was launched in May of 2021. For example, the National Ecosystem Fund, which is $100 million, uh, and it's under the Black Entrepreneurship Program, has already shelled out $92 million of that $100 million to Black orgs across the country, 18 of which are right here in Ontario. And we know some of them, right, patients? I'm talking about, uh, you know, the Afro-Canadian Business Network. I'm talking about, you know, Caribbean Tales. I used to do some business with them, uh, the, the BPPA, so on and so forth. So I'm excited to see that money flow to entrepreneurs through those intermediaries and for Blackwell to start building as a result of it the right way in Canada. And I'm happy that we're continuing to evolve in a, a social liberal, inclusive liberal tradition under the Trudeau government. What, what do you think, Patience? Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Mm -hmm. I actually worked for the Dream Legacy Foundation for uh, most of this year. Oh, yeah, um, right in service of the Black Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub. And I can tell that this is so far overdue that mm -hmm. the excitement and the, the conversations are going to bring us uh, to a place where we can start to tackle some of these really systemic, circular issues that, that we've been seeing in, in our communities. So I, I think this, this strategy that the government has had to identify um, really uh, strong, reputable leaders and their organizations and leveraging them to bring the community forward or to, to, to not even lead, but like to facilitate the, what you're talking about in terms of Black wealth and problem solving mm -hmm. and innovation. Innovation yeah. is I, what I'm most excited about is like, how, how do we fix our own problems, right? That's and right. our own, how, how do we look for, for opportunities in, in some of Canada's biggest problems? So I'm, I'm really, I have no doubt that this money from the Black Entrepreneurship Program will change what our community looks like in five years. No doubt about it. It better. That's exciting. You know, one, one thing that's um, also interesting about this year, I mean, you know, Friends of the Drip, the Foundation for Black Communities, you know, um, they've been doing amazing work. I mean, the, the reason why they exist is to, one, highlight the massive 
discrepancy that exists uh, with um, philan- uh, philanthropic dollars in Canada as it relates to, uh, you know, investments in black organizations and black needs. Yes. Uh, and, and two, ensuring that, that that discrepancy is fixed through proper investments from government and corporate sources. Um, you know, they, they did the work. They did the work putting together an amazing report that was that was flagged and used as the flagship for the various deliberations that occurred. And as a result, patients, um, yeah, just this month, there was a call for proposal um, to be the organization responsible for administering what will be called the Black-Led Philanthropic Endowment Fund, which is $200 million to the Black community to ensure that in perpetuity, our philanthropic coffers are full. Why is, <laughs> why is FFBC not automatically considered? That's right. It's it's a big I I it's it's annoying. It's it pisses me off actually. Um the challenge that we have here is uh we had them white boys over at the We Charity. Um uh, they did say a whole no bunch more. of that stuff. <laughs> and they essentially ruined, you know, they pissed in the pot for everybody else. And so now, even though FFBC was literally responsible for this program, they have to compete with God knows who else, who may not even have the expertise, certainly not as much expertise as the the FFBC to administer. As the people who wrote the business case. Wrote the damn playbook. (laughs) I mean, patience, I told you how, like, on behalf of the, the ACPL, you know, I wrote a letter of support for this cause because it's nonsense. And, yeah. I, you know, that was at, at the request of the FFBC. Yes, yes, yes. So, look, I, I hope that um, the government makes the right call on this. Um, and, yeah, the FFBC is managing those dollars uh, next year or whenever those dollars get doled out. Yeah. Uh, another honorable mention is child care, which yeah, really is such a huge deal ask anyone who has you know kids under 10 or 12 years old child care has been killing us mm. and so this moving from whatever people were paying before which could range from anywhere 10, between, 15 20,000 know, right exactly um, uh, so moving from that to $10 a day is uh, like changing people's lives you spoke earlier about inflation Mm -hmm. and about how costs are kind of getting out of control Mm -hmm. and i know from from working closely with some food banks that food banks are 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 running out of food uh, quicker than they have in years past so um balancing this this rising the, the rising costs of everything else with a bit of a break i would say we'll do a lot for folks who didn't think that they could afford children and we'll do a lot for folks who are are struggling with those that that we got and i'll, I'll raise my hand for for that that the latter part there ten dollars a day puts the average uh child care cost at about 250 dollars a month which is you know about a tenth uh, mm-hmm. on, on average of what people were paying before. And it just makes me want to cry, Curtis. <laughs> like It makes me want to cry. I don't have children. I probably will not have children for the next, you know, four or five years or so. But, you know, in terms of my political perspective, it's one of those reasons why I'm a liberal, right? I, I believe that, yes, you got to work hard for what you, you know, earn your keep. And we have to have a strong and thriving business sector. Absolutely. But 
we can also ensure that, you know, for one, we have a child care regime that ensures that, yeah, you know, let's help people. Let's help people to work. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and quite frankly, we have the wealth in this country to ensure that um, more than just helping people to work, let's invest in our children so that they get the yes. best foot forward, the best opportunities later down the road. Um, so I'm, I'm happy with this, just like I'm happy with dental care. It's, it, yeah, it's one of those things that makes Canada what it is. It makes Canadians who we are. Um, you know, it's only a shame that these two programs weren't implemented sooner all across the country, but we're here now and I'm happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a last honorable mention that I wanted to share is, um, how immigration from black countries, so countries in, in the Caribbean and countries in sub-Saharan Africa is at an all time high mm-hmm. right now. So uh, in the last couple of years, Canada has been leaning more and more into economic immigration as a dominating strategy for bringing folks into the country. Yep. For those who don't know, we have three kind of streams of, of immigration in Canada. We have the family class, we have the humanitarian or the refugee class, and then we have economic class. And our economic class is now um, easily 50%, if not 60, 65%. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Black folks are dominating the economic class along with with our our Asian counterparts. So we are going to see a lot more Black people in this country. And that is also following census results, which came out this year, which took us up to 4.1% of the Mm. country, um, which, again... Most of us in Durham. Pardon? Most of us being in Durham. Yes, Durham. Yes, Durham region, the place to be. Um, but yeah, immigration is is going to, for the first time in a really long time, is going to help us grow as a community. And, and I think as, as exciting as that is in terms of growing in numbers and growing in um, kind of a, in, in the sense of, of de- developing a voting block, there's also going to be some work that I think needs to be done in terms of um, ensuring that as we grow as a minority group, we still have shared interests and shared understandings of um, the experiences here. What comes to mind to me is how, um, you know, in the in the 80s and the 90s, when a lot of folks were coming from from Africa and from um, the Caribbean, folks were, were forgetting about the kind of indigenous Africans or folks who, who, who are here, um, who, who came here as loyalists mm-hmm. or who came here through the, the, the Underground Railroad. So not forgetting who was here but before, but really right. respecting the everyone's unique um, journeys into, into Canada. But still, sure. immigration is a, is a huge thing for, for Black folks. And I, I think was in 2022 and will continue to be in, in 2023. Yeah. <laughs> so th- this has actually been a really interesting year for immigration as a whole, because literally between July and October of this year alone, we brought in the most people that we've ever brought in, period. Yep. That, and for example, just for putting into context, that influx of people, the 362,453 of them, uh, that came in that three-month period, that was more than the total population growth of 350,000 that came in all of 2011. So we are growing, growing, growing. You mentioned, for example, you know, our immigration through the economic stream, so on and so forth. Canada is also not reneging on its responsibilities to bring in refugees. In fact, we were the country that brought in the most refugees this year. So we are... Like in the whole world? In the entire world. 
Oh, wow. Yep. So we're growing, 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 growing. We need to grow, grow, grow in our approach to black refugees, but that I'll leave leave that right there. (laughs) Because, you know, yeah. Haiti, I I don't know if you spoke about Haiti already, but um, Haiti is still desperately kind of, you know, in need um, of, uh, you know, resettlement and and of uh, getting getting folks out of there. um, And... um, you know, not to say that there aren't other deserving places in the world, but, you know, we have Haiti, we have Ethiopia, we have Yemen. These are these are black countries that are um, suffering right now. Uh, and the focus has been um, on on other relationships that, that Canada has uh, with with non-black countries, which is I'm not saying that folks are more or less deserving. I'm just saying that black countries, we, we, we tend not to be as um, open uh, to, to those refugee groups. Yeah, true. Clear, clear. Jumping to our concerns for 2023. So we've mostly gone on without talking about Russia's invasion of Ukraine, um, mostly because at face value, it ain't got nothing to do with black people. But <laughs> plus, plus, we can remember reports of hostility toward Africans trying to leave Ukraine at the onset of the war. Reports and videos, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I say reports, but like we saw that shit. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> the truth is that conflict affects us all, though, and it's it's only getting worse. The bloody ordeal has been raging since February and has seen one hundred thousand Russian military deaths, a hundred thousand Ukrainian military deaths and another 40,000 Ukrainian civilian deaths and like between 15 and 30 million refugees, according to some U.S. estimates, thousands of which have fled to Canada, as we know. So initially, Russia's invasion of Ukraine patients was painted by Putin as a special operation to rid that country of a Nazi cell that he hearkened yeah, back to. Yeah, I remember that. Two, right? Yeah. The operation was supposed to take a couple of weeks, as was regurgitated by Russian state media, like RT or Russia Today. Now, Putin and his puppets are outright saying, patients, get ready for this, that this war is one for existential existence against NATO and the West, and that the war will continue until both are defeated. Madness. That's us. Yeah, literally. Like, that's literally you and I. That's what? us. That's they all know? of us. Yeah, it's literally us. Yeah. Like, we could very well be entering World War Three instead of a fight against Nazi Germany. We're fighting Putin's Russia for the global order. Listen, man, I'm, I'm doing global trade work right now. I sincerely hope the fact that both sides have nuclear weapons keeps the conflict contained, but it doesn't look good, especially if they're used. So that's me. I mean, uh, how about you? What, what are your thoughts on what I just said? And, and what do you think about as the most worrying thing for 2023? Definitely in in direct um, in direct response to what you've just said, I my, my biggest concern for 2023 is China. Mm-hmm. In what sense? Where is China going to fall when it comes mm-hmm. to this? We know that China has been struggling with um, huge COVID-19 outbreaks over the last little while. So they've been a little bit destabilized just with like half of their populace, you know, navigating this, this, um, this virus, this, this, uh, 
this disease, but um, I think once they stabilize and once they uh, feel like, 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 like they have some, some power to, to throw around mm-hmm. th- them aligning themselves with Russia um, is a, is a very real possibility. Yep. And speaking somewhat selfishly as, as uh, you know, the, an, an African Canadian, mm-hmm. uh, someone who, who's, whose parents are from Africa, uh, China is really deeply investing in Africa right now. And Jamaica. Uh, so buying utility companies, you know, operating and maintaining airports. My, my biggest worry for 2023 is is absolutely China and where they're going to fall in this ongoing this ongoing development of, of, of Russia versus the West. Uh, what does it mean to be the West? Uh, is, is it possible that, that China maybe doesn't see things the same way Putin does? I really hope so. Um, so that's my really big concern for, for 2023. I hear you. I hear you. So we'll basically both be keeping our eye on the geopolitical tectonic plates. And we'll see what the year has in store. Yep. Well, jumping to the question for the audience. How about you? Do you think we were on point in our perspectives about this year and next? What would you have chosen instead? You've just listened to episode 94 of The Trip, sponsored by Fido Mobile. And we're so thankful for their support, which amplifies important discussions like these in the fight against anti-Black racism. We're releasing pods on a regular basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. You can also keep up with us on our Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at The Drift TO. You know, we love our many non-Black, non-BIPOC listeners, but a message specifically to our Black listeners... We hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Toronto's very own Be On Location for the sounds you're hearing now. You can find more tracks from him wherever you get your music. Happy New Year and see y'all next time. 